0: History happened everywhere. A random place, a random time, and a topic pulled from the hat. Then the challenge for one of us to go away and find out everything they can before coming back and revealing all to the other. You're listening to...
1: History happened everywhere.
0: welcome to history happened everywhere episode 28 it's exciting isn't it that's a lot of episodes man. yeah but here we are sitting here 28 episodes in i am sat here in the studio of course with the very beautiful peter goddard
1: my conjoined twin in history yeah. conjoined by history are we <laughs> yeah, that's what i was thinking that's an yeah. alarming image you put in my head thank you so much how you doing pete you okay i am all right i have been i've taken to doing jigsaw puzzles mm. for real really big ones four four piece uh, or are four. you push to eight <laughs> well the first one it was two that was <laughs> too right. easy and then yeah, i yeah. shot to like ten thousand. that was too hard so uh there's a couple of thousand i think in this one okay
0: I'm thinking of buying a penguin. I think you should buy a penguin. Right? Because I just really like penguins. The beaked exotic bird from the southern hemisphere. Just the one or a full pack? No, just one. Well, I wouldn't want lots of them. Are right. they social
1: creatures though? Don't they hang out together? Wouldn't one be real lonely?
0: Well, I'll wear a suit. I'll wear like a, a DJ and pull my trousers down.
1: <laughs> That's Well, I mean... <laughs> Careers have no. been made with less. <laughs> uh,
0: no, like, uh, what's his name? In Mary Poppins. He does the little penguin dance. He, he pulls does, his he trousers
1: does. down. <laughs> he does indeed do that. Uh, that was a Me Too moment, I think. <laughs> Looking back on it. Probably no. wouldn't be allowed today. I don't
0: know. I mean, he doesn't pull them off. He just
1: lengthens the. He dances with them. <laughs> <tunders> <laughs> <and>
0: the <tools. laughs> yeah. I just want a little
1: penguin. You, I, I think London Zoo's probably got loads. They've been quite quiet over the last year or so. so right. I'm sure they'll really lend said. me one, right? Rent, rent a penguin, right? They've got rent to find other sources of income.
0: I just feel like if I fill the bath with water or ice, they can
1: happily live in there. I think a penguin would be delighted to live with you, right? Yes, I'm, I'm getting one, on. and I shall name it Norbert. Norbert the penguin. Yeah. What if it's a lady penguin?
0: Uh, Peter. That's unfair. <laughs> <laughs> Right, um, enough tish, tash and nonsense. Piff, paff, let's move on. Piffle, waffle. Yeah, we have a lot to cover off uh, because this is an exciting episode. I'm sure there's going to be a tremendous amount that you're going to tell me about. I'm going to tell you so many things. Well, look, <laughs> the thing is, I can't remember what the country, time and topic is. If
1: only there were a mechanism to remind us.
0: Hey, what does this button do? Have a look, press it. All right. Yeah. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. I'm yes. going to hit the button. Yes. All right. Okay, (laughs) the next episode of History Happened Everywhere, the country is Singapore. Singapore, okay. Ooh, interesting. Do you want to know the time? I do. All right, let's hit the time. And your time is the Persian Empire. Interesting. Yeah, that's 550 BC. To three hundred and thirty BC, it's very not Which modern, is the person, the person, the person Persian Empire, Persian Empire. Oh, oh man! <laughs> and do you want to know what the topic
1: is? It's almost irrelevant at this point. But alright. Go, go on. It's like space. All right. Crazy. And the topic is green faces. Nice. What is
0: it? Discovery. Ooh. Yeah, I think that's okay actually. So uh, Singapore, Singapore, Persian Empire, Persian Empire, discovery, discovery. That's kind of cool. All right, I'm into it. All right. Ooh, Singapore. Yeah, am excited. Did Singapore exist then? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago.
1: Yes. Yeah, it was yeah. quite a challenging challenge this week. For the last couple of weeks, I've been uh, borrowing into my researches. I have found many things and I will educate and uh, entertain you. Okay. But, Bold yeah, statement. It was a highly challenging it's a combination of topic and location this time around i have to admit to you
0: i think it's going to be great i predict great things from all you. right
1: well let's get off to a strong start with the republic of singapore okay but it's also a sovereign island city-state in maritime southeast asia wow it's a long it's a lot of a lot title. to unpack there isn't yeah. there, right so uh, it's a sovereign island which means it's its own country it's sovereign it's a city-state which means the whole country is basically a city oh really okay um, that's cool so if you think about those city planets in star wars yeah, right, yeah. that's kind of like what well, that's a city planet coruscant uh and there's only three in the world actually oh, what of the city of c- city, city states today okay in the modern wow. world there are only three city states uh, singapore is one and the other two are oh mexico city no that's part of mexico oh yeah the whole country <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> let me guess no, i want to guess this
0: um I, don't tell me! Don't tell me! I'm, I'm, saying, gonna, nothing. No, I'm, saying, no, I'm saying nothing. I'm saying I'm to guess these.
1: Famously, long drawn out silences are great reading. <laughs> um
0: <laughs> All I've got is Paris in my head, but that's not it. Again, no, I didn't say Paris. I just said <laughs> so that's the only thing that's in my head. Uh, so I'm thinking somewhere
1: small. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna kick yourself. Yeah, oh, go on, go on, keep going. Follow that Macau. train of thought. No, not that train of thought. Macedonia. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's not even a country. <laughs>
0: my, my Sharona. <laughs>
1: mm, is it begin with M? Ah, uh, all right. Where does the Pope live? Vatican City. Ah, Ow! that's a city state. See, that's why I knew it. Right. And there's one other. Mm, big tax haven. Grand Prix. Casinos. No, nothing. Monaco. Monaco. There you go. Happy going with them. It does. Good. Yes, that's what I was trying to painfully elicit <laughs> from you. All right. So, right. So we said it's a sovereign island city-state. It's sovereign means it's, its own country. It's a city-state, which we just described. And it's an island, which means it's an island. But actually, it's not an island. It's 64 islands oh okay uh but even that is kind of weird because that number changes over time so some of the islands have disappeared so jurong island which is exists today yeah started as seven different islands but it all got kind of reclaimed into one big island okay all right uh 10 new islands were made artificially yeah i don't think those count well i mean i'm not the adjudicator of island existence i suppose yeah. Uh, But it's mostly a thing called the Singapore Island or mainland Singapore, as it's known. uh, Also historically known by its indigenous name of Palau Ujong, which in Malay means literally island at the end. Island at the end. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Palau Mulong. Ujong. Ujong. Palau Ujong it's called the island at the end because uh if you look at a map you see this very long sort of peninsula which is the Malaysian Peninsula there's long sticky out bit just kind of under Thailand essentially and it's the very very tip of that it's like someone chopped the end of the peninsula off and that island is Singapore right and that's why it's the island at the end so that's uh that's the Malaysian Peninsula it's it's where it is it's an island it's a city state so it's small right but still let's talk first about the national anthem wait wait
0: wait 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 we don't move forward
1: until you tell me how many frances oh okay well i can do that i can do that um it's about 719 square kilometers okay which is not very many at all i mean 719 yeah that's it square kilometers it's a city state right it's the size of a city yeah the whole country is one city so what's that in a france that is about 0.1 percent of a france okay wow a thousand of these i guess to make up a france yeah but then if you had a thousand of them that would be a very highly populated place so Let's talk national anthems. Okay, cool. Uh, for me, the beginning of this sounds like imagine a sci-fi movie where the ship that they've just taken care, taken control of <laughs> taking off and leaving the dock, and then it kind of goes into normal normal s- national anthem. Right. But the opening, honestly, would sounded so sci-fi to me. I'm going to play it to you now. Okay. Ship takes off, flies out into space.
0: I
2: like
1: it. Anyway, that's good. That's a good theme. Right? It's, oh, rou- it's rousing. I like a good rousing national anthem, and that uh, was definitely rousing. Uh, flag-wise, yeah, here's an interesting thing. The flag is, in to large part, very similar to that of neighbouring Indonesia. Um, and i couldn't really find a reason for it the indonesian flag is split horizontally and it's red half on top and white on the bottom okay yeah the singaporean flag is that yeah but they've got a crescent and five stars in the top half
0: oh that's quite confusing
1: right And, and i could not find any link between these things other than that obviously they're in similar regions so they find symbolism similar in terms of the colors and things but For the Singaporean flag, the red stands for universal brotherhood and the equality of man. The white is purity and virtue. Sure. The crescent moon, which it has, represents a young nation on the ascendant. Okay. Uh, The five stars are Singapore's ideals, which are democracy, peace, progress, justice, and equality. Wow. Nice. Um, Nice ideals. Exactly. So they've just kind of Added these, this crescent and the five stars to what is exactly the same uh, flag in Indonesia. But when you read about the Indonesian flag, the red and the white stand for different things. They just coincidentally look really similar. I yeah, maybe. Couldn't quite figure it out. Um, some famous things about Singapore you might think of. Uh, I'm going to test you here because this might be my age showing. But in 1992, they banned chewing gum. Okay. Uh, this is quite symbolic of they have a lot of quality of life laws in Singapore. Actually, since 2004, because of the Singapore US free trade agreement, they can sell, in inverted commas, therapeutic gum in pharmacies and dentists what does that mean it means you can have gum but you need to have a prescription for it essentially for what reason would you need a prescription and they give you gum well, it's for dental hygiene, right? So I, I suspect oh. it's not dissimilar to sort of modern dispensaries of uh, weed in the US where it was medical weed, but you could find quite easily a okay. helpful doctor who would try a prescription. Yeah. I um, was thinking
0: it's something to do with strengthening your jaw or something. But um,
1: Well, I mean, gum is, is known to be uh, chewing things. It helps clean plaque off. And there are dental benefits to gum. Sure, uh, There are quality of life problems with gum, obviously, which is the sticking of gum on things. Yeah. And part of the reason they introduced this law was because people were putting the gum on the sensors on train doors, which meant the train doors wouldn't shut, which means the trains were all getting delayed, and this was quite irksome. So it's kind of ruin
0: things, don't we? Right, people.
1: All you need, all you want to do is chew some gum, chuck Come your gum on, away, like just throw it away, wrap it in being, paper, right?
0: put it in the bin.
1: But uh, so I mentioned the quality of life laws. So there's laws against litter, graffiti, jaywalking, spitting, expelling mucus from the nose, and urinating anywhere but in a toilet. And, bonus law, yeah. if it's a public toilet, you are legally required to flush. Yeah, this all sounds great. I mean, I'm not against it. They sound like <laughs> the rules of my house. Right. And uh, nothing on that list makes you think, but I want to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. But this is the reason why some Singaporeans describe Singapore as a fine city, in that you can be fined for basically anything. Oh, a fine city. Yes. Uh, right. Chewing gum and bubblegum. Are they considered the same thing? I would imagine they would come under the same law because you are chewing and they are gum. That you can blow bubbles is merely an adjunct to the the material, I would say. Um,
0: additional thought, nicotine
1: gum. The kind of thing one might get on a prescription. Yeah. So by and large, what I was reading was that a big deal was made about this back in the day when Singapore was kind of becoming Singapore. Yeah. And the whole point of it was... Um, that singapore was modernizing and wanted to be this new shiny place but the western journalists obviously really kind of went oh look at this example of a not particularly democratic free place
0: and it also happened to occur it's at the impressive. same time
1: as some kid got sentenced to caning for graffitiing right so there was this at that time and also a number of journalists being lazy and largely idiotic got confused between what he was getting caned for okay uh but anyway the point being it was all part of a kind of narrative of the time of this place is very restrictive life compliance is part of life in a lot, a lot more uh, notably than in some other locations. Good afternoon,
0: sir. My name is Customs Officer Lee. Uh, do you know why you've been detained today? Um,
1: no, no, I don't actually.
0: Well, sir, I can tell you that you have been held today on suspicion of transporting illicit substances. What? Are you a gum runner, sir? Gum? Gum? Is there an echo? Yes, sir. Gum. I, I don't know what you mean. Don't come the innocent with me, sir. I've seen it all before. I just don't... Are you running Big Red? What? I... Are you pushing airwaves? No, Admit I... Admit it. You're a trident trafficker, aren't you? No, No, I'm not. Come on. Make it easy for yourself. It's only a matter of time. We've got three dogs outside, highly trained, capable of sniffing out 30 types of men.
1: 30 types?
0: Yeah, that's right. Spearmint, peppermint, fresh mint, lemon mint, uh, cool breeze, winter fresh, white mint, black mint, sweet mint, mint extreme, ice fresh, mint blast, mint bliss, mint freeze, extra cold, extra mint, more mint, mild mint, mega mint, mighty mint, might be mint, berry mint, very berry mint, and original.
1: Look, look, there's, there's been a misunderstanding. I don't know about any of these
0: mints. This has all been a terrible mistake. Oh, oh well, that's a that's a fresh smelling breath you've got there, sir. Well, I, I just brushed my teeth. In the middle of the day, sir. Come on! You're just making this worse for yourself. Let me tell you a story about a man just like you. He came through this room. He thought he knew it all, but I could smell it on him. He insisted he had nothing to hide. And do you know where he is now, sir? Serving 30 to life in a Singaporean prison. And do you know who that man is, sir? No. Who? who? That man was Bazooka Joe. Oh. Yeah. Hey, yeah, you're not so bubblicious now, are you, sir?
1: Look, look. Okay, look. It's it's just one pack, and it's medicinal. Oh well, you'll have a prescription for that, then. I'm sure. Well, well. I mean, no, I don't have it on me. I I, I lost the the dog ate it.
0: How very convenient, sir. Take him away, boys.
1: No, no, it's minnows, No, no, no. Let me go.
0: I want some chewing gum now.
1: Uh, well, I'm sure you do, but I can distract you with the world's tallest indoor waterfall, if you like. Yeah, I'd love that. That's in the mall of the Jewel Changi Airport. It's known <laughs> as the HSBC Rain Vortex. Okay, it's 40 metres high and's got a lush indoor garden. Uh, 40 metres high. 40 metres high. <laughs> wow. It does look pretty cool, actually. I have to say. Uh, TripAdvisor comments include "simply amazing," "wow," and "mostly free." Mostly, <laughs> mostly free. free. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't dig into what exactly. <laughs> Why you have would you to not dig for, but... into that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Well, is that because you want to throw money into it, uh, like no, a coin I, I for luck or a viewing
1: gallery that you have to pay for? But you can actually wander around almost the, okay. all the rest of it. Uh, I did look yeah. a little bit. Um, Singaporeans that you may have heard of. Okay, this gets quite complicated because obviously it's not a massive place. But uh, Teela Tequila, you may have heard of. Uh, no, this I is a guess. sort of MT, American MTV type host. Okay. So youth presenter. Right. Uh she's a Singaporean American. Jet Lee uh-huh. became a citizen of Singapore. He wasn't born there, but he became a citizen. Oh, okay. Uh Jackie Chan is by some accounts a permanent resident of Singapore. Here's one that will surprise you. Louis Theroux was born in Singapore. Louis Theroux, Louis the Theroux. documentarian. The documentarian. Yeah. So, I mean, no, these people are all elsewhere um or born in Singapore, but well, you wouldn't traditionally consider a singaporean but Jet Lee and jackie chan a bunch of people who became singaporean why is that well why would the rich and famous go to somewhere because it's a highly modern city it's got a really high standard of living Mm -hmm. why has it got a high standard of living well it is a major financial and shipping hub okay it's consistently ranked the most expensive city to live in wow really okay Perhaps related to those people joining or residence, getting residency, it's a tax haven. Oh, I ah, see. Yes. Right. And as a result of all of those things, Singaporeans have and this. I like that. This was I think it was Wikipedia that told me this, but it told me these two things at the same time. They've got one of the world's longest life expectancies and fastest Internet connection speeds. So not only Wait, do they what? live longer, they don't have to waste it waiting for things to download. <laughs> <laughs> so they've got a lot of spare time I guess because they've like got long lives and fast internet. And
0: they're not sitting there cursing their computers right? going, they're "Come
1: not, on!" Absolutely. They've got they've they're on with their lives. Amazing. <laughs> if, you
3: sucks, if you think tax sucks, you can save some bucks. Singapore's tax-free. tax free. Jackie Chan, gently. If you like tax, nice and low, gonna be your town. Where the chili crab is far when the crime breaks down. Jackie Chan, Chan, Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan. If your income's close, and you're looking for a home. Singapore's tax free. Jackie Chan, gently. Li respect, and is the best, then it ain't no lie. You can do your and test in the streets of <laughs> Singapore, so tax-free. Jackie Chan gently. Oh, we can go dancing, we can go walking, as long as we're together. Listen to some music Maybe just talking And enjoy the lovely weather But there's just one thing Now that I wanna chew There's gum that I wanna do It's please. So now you can take the hints It's you with the double men But I think you know That I have to go Singapore's tax free, Jackie Chan gently. Life expectancy is the best, and ain't no
2: lie,
3: You can do a broad fantasy in the streets of heart. Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan, Jackie Chickie Chan, Jackie.
1: So, why is Singapore so fancy? Um, you could say it's all down to raffles. Okay, it's down to raffles. You could say it, and Wait, you what? did say it. Raffles, raffles, as in like, well, like Just a random of, of f- tickets sold. No, <laughs> so let me give you a potted history of Singapore. Okay, so the early, the earliest written record of Singapore we think might be in a Chinese account from the third century describing an island called po Lu, Luo Cheng. Uh In the West, uh, you may remember a Greco-Roman astronomer Ptolemy. Hey, Ptolemaeus. Ptolemaeus. Um, Ptolemaeus! He identified a place called Sabana at the tip of the Golden Chersonese, which we think is the Malay Peninsula in the 2nd and 3rd century. That's amazing, isn't it, that he identified that. Right? Mm. And it's incredible, right? But obviously, these are some centuries after my time period, and these yeah, are the earliest true. records that we have. In 1025, the Chola Empire of southern India came across the Indian Ocean, And invaded the Srivijayan Empire, attacking places in Malaysia and Indonesia. And at that point, the Chola forces, who are in about 1025 here, controlled a place that was known as Temasek, which we think is some kind of trading post that was probably Singapore. Oh, that's kind of cool. So what we're seeing is this is now becoming a slightly strategic place it's, it's hardly surprising because it's got because it's on the end of the peninsula and between indonesia and malaysia it's kind of on a crossroad as a shipping crossroads
0: well, it makes sense if it's right right at the end of the peninsula it's water pretty much around it exactly what's it like is it built up is it uh, rocky is it
1: at that uh it's mangrovey and oh. uh there, i guess there's some rocks but uh mangroves are the uh, one of the main things i've i've been getting cool but we'll we'll come to a little bit of the the south side of the island when we come to why it built up so suddenly um there's a thing called the malay annals written in the 15th century that seems to be the earliest mention of singapore as a as a really confident We know that this is what they're talking about. So this claims that in the 13th century, Sri Tri Bruana landed on Temasek on a hunting trip. So Temasek being Singapore Island, we think. Okay, yeah. He saw a strange beast, which was said to be a lion. Oh, cool. Right? So the the prince thought this was auspicious, a lion, a royal thing. Uh, So he founded a settlement called Singapura. Uh, And this means Lion City in Sanskrit. Lion City. Lion City. So you may be familiar with the beer called Singer. (laughs) Yeah, Singer. And what's on the front of that? Uh, I'm guessing a lion. Correct guess, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't know, but I just put two and two together. I know. That's what I love about you. You know how to go with it. Yes. And so actually, there are no lions on Singapore. It might have been a tiger or he might have been just drunk. We don't know. But they don't actually have Singapore lions. But this is this is the beginning of a thing called Singapore. So I mean, they
0: called lions. Well, any big cat a lion back. Yeah, in the day. I think
1: you know you could be flexible back in the day, couldn't you? It's like, yeah, it's catish, and it went rah. So I'm going to call that a lion.
0: Yeah, three lions on the shirt, the old England badge. Those weren't lions, were they not? No, they were like leopards, I think. Oh, really? Were brought over for for the king. They were stored in um, Tower of London.
1: I mean, you look at pictures of things from those days and you can see that the artist has clearly never seen the thing that he's drawn. True. <laughs> look yeah. at the elephant. It's got, <laughs> <laughs> it's got this mutant-looking thing, right? Yeah. So let's fast forward to 1320. The Mongol Empire sent a trade mission to a place called Longya Men, which is believed to be the Keppel Harbour on the southern part of the island. So again, it's all it's, it's at that trading location. The area gets taken over by Siam, what's now Thailand. There's a bit of a rut for a while between what becomes the Malacca Sultanate, which is out of Malacca, which is one of the Indonesian islands, and then in the 16th century, guess who arrives? Portuguese. The correct. The Portuguese arrive. They're
0: always turning they up. Do, they it's do. That or that. early man. Those right. are the, my two go-to
1: <laughs> options. So the Portuguese That's early man was late, so it can't be here. <laughs> so the Portuguese arrive, as you correctly identify, and they kick the Sultan of Malacca out of the Sultanate of Malacca. Kick them in the Malacca's. He's not bothered. He found he founds another Sultanate, which is the Johor Sultanate. Johor is the tip, the the land bit at the tip of the Malaysian Peninsula. So basically if you look at the map, you get this long drawn out Malaysia. Then there's a little strait called the Strait of Johor and then there's the island that's Singapore. So that end bit of Malaysia is Johor. Right. So the Portuguese are still problematic in the area. They destroy the settlement that's at Singapore and then the island apparently sinks into obscurity for two centuries. Wow. It's just a swampy mangrove island with not a lot on it. Because the Portuguese just shut it down. They they established other trading posts. There were alternate, you know, other trading alone. posts are available. For how long? Two centuries.
0: Wow, that's a long time right? for it to
1: just be sitting there. Yeah. So it's just this island that no one's doing anything with. And then other Europeans arrive. Yeah. Dutch, English correct the archipelago is gradually taken over by Dutch Portuguese and and the British yeah Uh, and then this is where the key guy arrives Sir Stamford Raffles Sir
0: Stamford Raffles
1: right that is the the name of a man from that era it? (laughs) sounds fine
0: Sir Raffles
1: so Sir Stamford Raffles he wants a good port in the area uh, because he's trying to compete with the Dutch Uh, I thought you meant like a glass of port no no he's looking for a no because the Portuguese would have had all that (laughs) (laughs) yeah So no, he's trying to find a port for uh, trade. So he convinces his bosses to fund an expedition. And so he travels around. He finds Singapore on the 28th of January, 1819. And he goes, oh, I love this. It's on the southern tip of the Malay Peninsula, right? Yeah. It's got a natural deep harbour. It's got freshwater supplies. It's got timber for ships. And it's right on the trade route between India and China. So he's like, I love this. See, this how come is awesome. no one had got there before? How come the Portuguese just left it for it? it's so cool and groovy? Well, I mean, they, they destroyed it and I guess they had their own place set up. So they're like, well, you know, we'll get rid of All this right. and then we'll we'll have our trade in the places that we control more easily. I OK. So at that time, the entire island had a population of about a thousand people.
0: Living in little huts and stuff.
1: We'll come to that, actually. It's uh, right. in some little villages and also boats. Uh, but technically, this was part of the Sultanate of Johor, which I just described, which technically was controlled by the Dutch. Ah, Dutch so East Indies. I'm going to say the East Indies company because I'm in the East Indies. (laughs) (laughs) So technically it's under the Sultan of Johor. So Raffles has a plan and you have to admire this. He goes, I'm going to make my own Sultan. What for himself? No, he goes to the, so the Sultan of Johor is controlled by the Dutch. So what Raffles does is he gets this guy called Tengu Long, who is the older brother of the existing Sultan. And he smuggles him into Singapore. He says, I'm going to recognize you as the rightful Sultan of Johor. Give you $5,000 a year in return for being allowed to set up a trading post. Why do you do that? What does that give him? Um, so what actually was happening was that the, the real, in inverted commas, Sultan was not really popular with his followers. So it was kind of a coup, essentially.
0: Oh, okay. New and improved Sultan, come join my new and improved Sultan. Right. And everyone's like, yeah, let's do that. And we're like,
1: yeah, that's fine. This guy's also going to give us money. Yeah, that helps. So they signed a formal treaty on 6th of February, 1819. And that is essentially the birth of modern Singapore. Nice. So now Raffles gets busy, he wants a port, right? By 1821, so when were we before? We were on 1819. So 1821, two years later, yeah. Ireland's population is now 5,000. Okay, that's quite a lot. Right, in two years, your population has gone up 500%. 40 years later, 50,000 people. So this island of 1,000 people in a couple of villages is now 50,000 people it's getting busy. 40 isn't years later. So if you were 10 years old when this guy arrived... By the time you're 50, yeah, you just unrecognizable, whole, yeah, right? totally changed by 1880. Another 20 years later, 1.5 million tons of goods were passing through Singapore. Wow, so basically, it becomes this really thriving trading location and quickly as well, yeah, really quickly. It transforms,
0: yeah.
1: So, the, the British are obviously in charge, it's doing really well, and then World War II happened. Uh-oh. So, the Japanese declare war with uh Britain. Yeah. In Singapore, there is a 90,000-strong garrison of British, Australians and Indians. Singapore was the major British base in the Pacific and it was considered unassailable because its seaward defences were impenetrable. Cool. What do you think happened? Uh, bombed by planes. Uh, no, but it was a good guess. They just came down the land. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so the Japanese came down the Malay Peninsula and invaded by land and just popped over the little strait between the two areas rather than attacking by sea. And they really just... Beat the British, frankly. The fall of Singapore was the largest surrender of British-led forces in history. Oh, no. Yeah, ouch, right? So 90,000 troops, there. 90,000 who all went... Yeah, we give up. Out. So... This is quite problematic. Obviously, Japan lost the war eventually, so it came back to Britain. But uh, it's quite hard to be, I am a dominant colonial power when you've been handily beaten by someone a few years earlier. So the, reputation, as the British reputation was really tarnished at this point. And this, as with many other places that we've seen, yeah. is the start of independence movement. And okay. why are these people governing us? They already lost once right yeah they can't protect us right so then you see a really gradual i'm not going to go into the details but a gradual implementation of self-government and on the 16th of september 1963 malaya singapore north borneo and sarawak which a couple of indonesian islands were merged to form a country called malaysia right Uh, that doesn't go great for singapore Because two years later, in the 9th of August 1965, the Parliament of Malaysia voted 126 to none in favour of a constitutional amendment expelling Singapore from the Federation. Wait, what? okay. They just Dumb don't want to be down. part of so the country. So they, they set it up. And then the and thing they, they really set said, up... let's make a country out of all these people. Yeah. I suspect not consulting all those people. Right. Some of those people go, I don't want to be part of this country.
0: <laughs> I see. And so they kicked them out. So the
1: problematic Singaporeans are like, eh, we're going to make a fuss. And they went, eh, get out. We don't want you part of our country. Cool. So they become the Republic of Singapore. I suspect this is probably because Singapore was a relatively wealthy trading post. Yeah. And everywhere else was not. So what do you want to do? Do you want to be the people paying for everyone else? Or do you want to keep all your money for yourself? That's my speculation. So it becomes the Republic of Singapore. And it really, really focuses on developing its industrialization. And it wants to become a modern place, basically. The 1980s and the 1990s, the unemployment rate falls dramatically. GDP growth is like 8% up until 1999. It invests heavily in technology, wafer fabrication digital stuff what's wafer fabrication wafer um biscuits (laughs) what are you talking about silicon wafers
0: what's a silicon
1: wafer technology invest heavily in technology right 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 right, right. (laughs) (laughs) the port of singapore becomes one of the world's busiest ports even tourism starts to grow immensely and a lot of this is down to a guy called lee kuan Yew, who was the prime minister of singapore from get this 1959 yeah to 1990 oh wow that's a long time it was basically almost, almost all of modern singapore yeah wow okay and he is recognized as kind of the father of modern singapore the founder okay but he more than anyone he was also the guy who said we need to ban chewing gum he's like let's make a state that's invests heavily in is modern and is not like the sort of rice paddy stereotype of an eastern country right so being modern is a really big thing in or a, in the development of of Singapore
0: we had something similar in our last episode around Brazil where um, they also had that drive to become a new place and push away from the old colonial days
1: right and it's often results in casualties in sort of tradition and uh, culture but you know some people want to make the break from the past is a way to to drive towards the future isn't it
0: I guess Dubai probably is another example of of pushing the past behind you and looking at the future history which is bad for us obviously (laughs) it's terrible for us (laughs)
1: So tell me about the time period. Well, I'm glad you asked me that, Ryan. So the, the time period is 550 BC to 330 BC, which was basically the Persian Empire. This isn't about the Persian Empire, but the reason we selected these some of these time periods is they represent moments in history which are well recorded elsewhere, but are kind of our gig is. But also stuff was happening everywhere at that time. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. But uh, nevertheless, what was the Persian Empire? Well, at this time... yeah. It's also, Acha- it's also known as the Achaemenid It's also known as the Empire. The what? This is a, It's the Achaemenid Empire. Oh right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's an ancient Iranian empire. So from Iran. Yeah, so basically founded out of Iran. Uh, It's founded by a guy called King Cyrus the Great. Fundamentally, they conquered most of Western Asia and a lot of Central Asia. It was the largest empire in the world at that time. Right. It eventually really stretched from the Balkans, like Bulgaria and that kind of area, all the way to the Indus Valley in India. Oh, wow, that's quite far. Yeah, this is huge, right? It was known for imposing a very successful model of a kind of bureaucratic administration using uh, civil servants called satraps. Uh, It had a multicultural policy. They built a lot of infrastructure. So a lot of... the things that you would recognize in a civilizing in inverted commas empire the persians were an example of
0: and this is happening around about the same time as the roman empire is starting up so is... we're 550
1: bc so a little bit earlier actually but actually no it's similar to some of the greek city states coming up which we'll hear about shortly actually cyrus is really big with the iranians today oh, he's, is it? he's still a, a hero yeah because he's a, he made a, this empire right yeah i guess um so. this the Persian Empire is considered by many to be the world's first superpower. Well, yeah, that covers a lot of ground. Uh, and Cyrus also, interestingly, is quite popular with Jews. Because? Because he issued a decree that said we should let the Jews build a temple in Jerusalem, the, one of the most holy places in the sure. uh, Jewish faith. According to Isaiah 45, one of the Hebrew Bible, God anointed Cyrus for the task of uh, making the temple. Uh, and it, it, described, it refers to him as a messiah. He's the only non-Jewish figure in the Bible to be called that. Cyrus, Cyrus, no way, yeah, cool. Xenophon, a Greek historian and a student of Socrates, not the Brazilian football player, yeah, uh, wrote a book about Cyrus, and do you know what it's called?
0: Xenophon's book on Cyrus. It's called the Cyropedia. Is it really? Yeah, right. He didn't call it that though. He,
1: that's what it's called. I don't know if he called it. I don't know. It's Cyropedia. Cyropedia. It's nice. not like the rhinopedia, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he was followed by descendants, including a guy called Darius the First. He had a little trouble in a town called Marathon. I've heard of it. Right. So this was him invading the Greek city states. Uh, this was a battle after which, allegedly, apocryphally, a messenger ran to Athens to report the victory about twenty six miles away yeah. and dropped dead on delivering news of the victory at Marathon. Oh, so right. That is, is, is lost in that on that occasion. In fact, uh, the next thing that we know is also about the Persians losing, which is a guy called Xerxes. Yeah, from the three hundred film, Battle of Thermopylae. Right, the band of Spartans and Thespians uh, battle with him. Uh, Thespians. He, Yeah, thespians. It wasn't just actors, you know. Yeah.
0: That's what we call actors, isn't it? It is. Why do we call them that? Hey, voice of the internet, why are actors known as thespians?
3: Hello. This is the voice of the internet. Actors and actresses are often known as thespians in honour of Thespis, a Greek playwright and performer. Thespis is credited with becoming the first actor after he stepped out of the Greek chorus to recite portions of the text alone during a performance in 535 BC. Thespis is also credited with inventing the theatrical mask and managing the first travelling company of actors. These were a group of people whom he transported in wagons that also served as their stage. Thank you.
1: Hmm, interesting. Ah, Thank you. So, um, So he loses that battle. He also loses a critical sea battle at the time, the Battle of Artemisian um but these are kind of minor setbacks the persian empire is still massive but obviously we tend to learn about the greek view of things right where we held off the persians right yeah we did From that's the persian true point of view it was a little ruckus on the edge of their empire history's funny like that isn't it right it's all it's about depending on perspective perspective isn't it yeah um one of the other things you might have heard of a, a place called persepolis
0: uh, yeah, Persepolis, yeah.
1: Uh, and that is, uh, dates back to 515 BC, a huge network of palaces. Also, this is believed to be especially used to celebrate Nauru's.
0: Oh, Nauru's. Nauru's. Nice, this, which is the uh, new year.
1: Yeah, the Zoroastrian new, new Year.
0: Zoroastrian New Year. How about that? Persepolis, also the name of a animated feature film
1: and comic book.
0: And comic book, yeah, and from the book. comic book. Absolutely. Yeah. That's
1: a good book, too. That's a good film. So the the ruins of Pali is a world heritage site uh, since the 70s. So anyway, there's battles, Empire Rises, Empire Falls, loads of archaeology, loads of stuff's happening in Persia. So what's happening in Singapore at the same time? Yes. Uh, hard to say. Nobody's writing anything down. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But my subject is discovery, so I'm going to talk about two major s- discoveries that affect our understanding of the people of ancient Singapore. Okay, cool. So I'm going to start in a place called the Nia Caves in Borneo. It's 1,100 miles away. It's an right. Indonesian island. Well, no, it's a mix of countries, but uh, it's an island in the region. In 1864, A.R. Wallace uh, said to Charles Darwin, he thought these caves would be an interesting place to look for early human fossils. Yep. Uh in the 1950s and 60s, they finally get around to having a look and they That's do quite a some way later excavations. I know, right? Yeah. Lazy. <laughs> so they're digging in a particular location called, rather evocatively, Hell Trench. Wow. <laughs> like okay. Hell dare they call it that because I guess it was super hot. So they call yeah. this thing Hell Trench. And they find a skull. <laughs> nice. Of what? What, the, what is it? humanoid skull. Ooh. So this is old. This is really, really old. Okay. Uh, and it's called the Deep Skull. Uh, and samples of charcoal taken from around the area returned a date uh, that suggested this skull is about 40,000 years old. Whoa. Okay, that's old. That's really old. So in 1960, a British anthropologist called Don Brothwell concluded the skull belonged to an adolescent male uh, represented a population of early humans who represented modern indigenous Tasmanians, was where he sort of connected them to.
0: Wait, what? Oh, what? Like, so modern today Tasmanians are connected to these, people, these or people or resemble these people? Yeah, oh, that's cool. So,
1: well, is it though? So,
0: um, oh, No, it's not. I'm wrong.
1: It's important because there's a couple of theories of who... Of uh, migration in this this whole region, meaning Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, all of those areas. Yes. So one of them is a, a th- theory of a waves of migration, essentially. So there's this theory that's, that that uh, various people come and then they get fundamentally replaced by other waves of people. So the the way it's thought to have happened is you start with a, a people called Negritos, which are right. nomadic hunter gatherers, also known as Semang. And these guys are forest foragers, very similar in sort of both appearance and lifestyle to the forest foragers we've seen in uh, West Africa. Right. Although n- no one's saying that they were... Di- well, no, actually, some people say they're directly related, but it's sort a of very similar kind of lifestyle and, and appearance. They're small, live in the forest, at one with the nature and all that kind of thing. Yep. Uh, so they're believed to have inhabited the land... Till about 2000 BC. Then people start arriving from Indochina. It's called the Austro-Asiatic people. Uh, These people are village livers and they do a bit of agriculture. Mm -hmm. And they show up and they start making their villages and they push. Around 2000 BC. uh, After that. Oh, okay. But before 1200 BC, so somewhere between them. Okay. Uh, but they displaced the, the forager hunter-gatherer's type. We've heard this story before, right? Yeah, East Timor was similar. Absolutely. Yeah. So then in 1200 BC or thereabouts, the Austronesians arrive from probably what we think is Taiwan today or call Taiwan today known as the Proto-Malays. And then about 300 BC, now we're kind of closing in on our time period, more Austronesians, more advanced, called the deutero malays And these guys are basically what make up the Malayan people today. So about 60% of they think of the population of Peninsular Malaysia are made up of these deutero malays who are this wave of migration. So this is a fundamentally a replacement theory. There's each wave of people kind of shove the earlier ones out and there's yeah. there's not a great deal of continuity.
0: It's funny, that, not it? It's, uh, like, they don't just get along. There's no Like well, we're going to take this side of the island. You have the other.
1: Well, let me give you theory two. So our ancient skull, the uh, the skull that was found in the cave, yeah, in hell trench, in hell trenches. (laughs) Uh, seemed more Tasmanian than Malaysian right that's kind of a supports the Malaysian the replacement theory however relatively recently a guy called Darren Curnow at UNSW which I assume is the University of New South Wales had another look at the skull and his theory is the deep skull is a middle-aged female not a teenage boy Uh, and it closely resembles the indigenous people of Borneo today more than the indigenous people of Australia. Okay. So basically I think what he's saying is these aren't a long gone people. There is much more continuity, as you say, maybe yeah. actually they just got along right uh, than is described by the replacement theory. So this this suggests I think both
0: occur, right? Like it's not one or the other as, as a as seems, a rule. Right? You
1: suspect that there's probably a bit of both, right? You some, show up, like, some people oh, fall in love nice. and make love and make babies, and some people have a fight and the guys right. move out. A bit of both seems super plausible, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure, yeah. So that was the discovery. Right. <laughs> yeah, of the deep skull uh, but i'm going to take you on a slight diversion just because this is interesting which is the question of why people would be living in that particular cave in the near caves in the first place uh, and the answer one of the answers is potentially uh delicious bird's nests in the cave in the cave right so the cave is home to a population of swiftlets Ah, that's so, sweet Right, they're, they're this cute little tiny bird, and you may have heard of bird's nest soup. Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah. Right. So these the, the nests of swiftlets are the nests that they make bird's nest soup out of. They're is edible. bird's
0: nest soup made of bird's nest? Yeah, it? absolutely is. Oh, I didn't know that. So I thought you... it was just because it resembled it or it noodles at the bottom or something. And it no, just... no.
1: So for for time immemorial, these nests have been uh, collected by climbers who climb up these super high cliff faces or cave walls. Yeah. They now have safety harnesses or anything. Sure. They climb these cave walls to collect these nests. Right. So these what nests get in about... flavor wise from a, a nest. I well, don't get it. So the the, the nests themselves are um this is it's going to become less appetizing by the way as this goes on okay i
0: mean it's not massively appetizing now but and
1: this, and this is about this size you can't see my fingers being apart but about the size of a teacup okay right so very <laughs> english is, measure right okay about the size of a coffee cup, donut <laughs> and and what happens is this tiny bird uses these strands of spit that bond to the wall yeah this is cave. gross to, I know, right? Uh, to make their nests, right? Okay. And they also mix it with feathers and grass and twigs. And these are tiny birds, right? So they, they, they can't go and pick up twigs. They have to just pick feathers and, and bits of grass that are floating in the air because they're so small oh, they gosh. can't lift things up very heavy. Right. So anyway, they put these things into their nests, right? So there are two kinds of nests. It, near the cave mouth, you will tend to get these blacker nests which have more plant material and feathers and okay. crudding, basically. Yeah. Um. And then there's further into the caves, and I'm not... Exactly, clear why They have these whiter nests, which are much more of just the bird spit, basically. Right. And those white nests are the really valuable one, And I guess they're a protein-packed, delicious treat, because who, they're who incredibly expensive. Out? Who finds that out?
0: Well... Who's the first to be like, I'm so hungry, I'm going to eat that bird's nest?
1: I mean, if you look back to our deep skull guy, uh, I think, you know, you're starving, right? And it's a source of food and all you've got to do is climb up this thing and you can get there. You've got to be starving, sure. That it, it is so expensive today. Not only do you have to climb up this cliff wall to pull the thing off, you then have to pick out individual feathers right. to clean this nest to make it fit to boil. Then you boil it into a soup. But the whole thing is absolutely mad as far as I'm concerned, but
0: So you boil it down, you get all that protein into the water. And you get this kind of vermicelli
1: noodle like consistency apparently.
0: Delicious. Delicious. Well worth destroying the little birds. Hundreds of dollars a
1: kilo and the destruction of a bird's home. Wow. Yeah. Not easy for them to make
0: that little nest.
1: Right? And there's. I, it, honestly, it's, it's quite fascinating because basically what you've said is, I want a house made of spit. Yeah. And to, I'd like to turn that into soup. Mm. <laughs> I've sure got sure a sneaky suspicion somewhere.
0: you're going to bring out of your bag uh, some bird's nest soup that I'm going to try.
1: I cannot afford the bird's nest of a bird's nest soup, Brian. Don't worry about that. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> Birdies, can I take your order, please? Ah, uh, yes, I'll have the bird's nest soup, please. Is that the regular bird's
0: nest or the angry bird's
1: nest? Oh well, what's the angry bird's nest?
0: It's our special this month.
1: And what makes it angry?
0: Well, they're all angry to some extent because they've had their nest stolen, but... Well, this one comes with jalapenos.
1: Oh, well, just the regular bird's nest then, please. Do you want that in a meal? I'm um, sure.
0: Wren, raven or albatross?
1: Uh, just just raven, please. Any sides
0: with that? Wings, legs,
1: beaks, toes? Uh, no, thanks, but I would like an ice cream. Sorry, machine's broken. Can I uh, do you a spiderweb smoothie? No, no, thanks.
0: Hot anthill pie?
1: No, no, thank you, that's all.
0: Alright, that'll be 28.33. If you come round the first window, please. Thank you.
1: Right, let's go back to Malaysia now for another discovery. So we're going to another cave, Gua Gunung Runtu in the Lenggong Valley. We're now only 650 kilometres away from Singapore, so we're close... Not in Singapore, but we're pretty close. That's yeah. not too bad, I don't think. Well, uh,
0: Singapore doesn't exist at this point, so it's fine. Right, exactly, It's in the right. region. So of...
1: 1991, they find a, a burial cave, right? A person called Dr. Zuraina Majid, which is Malaysia's first archaeologist. She found the Perak Man. Oh, I
0: thought it was her burial ground. No. she. Well, they didn't find her buried. No, she
1: she showed up and went, there's probably someone in here. Right. She was bang right, the region's best preserved Stone Age skeleton found. Cool. 11,000 years old, this guy. Found in a fetal position, surrounded oh. by objects like stone tools and shells oh, bless. and stuff uh, he had a deformity which is interesting so he had a stunted growth in his left arm which meant probably he wasn't like a proficient hunter okay but he, he did live apparently to like 40 or 45 years old which is a long lifespan yeah for that sure kind of time. so this made archaeologists think he was possibly a shaman right yeah some valued person who was bringing something to the to the team as it were yeah uh, and a team at the uh, University of Sans Malaysia they used modelling techniques to create a facial representation of our chap here Oh, cool! Oh, this is him
0: one him. of my favorite things that, like, modern archaeologists oh, great, are able to do. Like,
1: I've got this skull. This is what he looked like. This is know? what it looked How like. Did
0: you get that? From all the muscle and ligaments and all that sort of stuff, they're able to judge what the face would look like. It's oh, incredible. i show you
1: this guy, and I got to tell you, he is ripped. He is in great shape. Okay. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, he looks badass. He's got a beard, but not much of a moustache, so I don't know what to make of that. Slightly pronounced brow, uh, but anyway, uh, that's I guess what he looked like. In 2012, Lengong Valley became a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which is a theme that comes up in these things. I think there were a lot of these World Heritage
0: Sites. <laughs> 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 well, it's an industry in of itself, isn't it? They have to keep finding new ones, otherwise <laughs> yeah. you know, the certification close process the yeah. is going to be a problem.
1: So if you want to go see him, you can go to the Lengong Archaeological Museum.
0: Well, his body's there?
1: Yeah, yeah. Or oh, what's left of it. Uh, some- see, how
0: do you feel about that? Don't you think they should just like leave the bodies buried?
1: No, I plan on burying myself in a humorous pose for future generations of archaeologists to come across.
0: Which is fine, but let them find you, let them document you, and then just bury you again. I'm not keen on... Why are they keeping him around?
1: No, I'm for it. He what does. are they learning he more cares.
0: now? They've surely studied his...
1: so look, look at it and go, ah, I won. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> I saying. won? I won. I'm still alive, you're not. Okay. So who's winning? Who's laughing now? Lingong man. Yeah. But in all seriousness, though, don't you think it's a bit weird? No, I find think it's fine. Once you're dead, you're dead, right? doesn't matter what you do. Did you, how did you feel about those Body Worlds exhibits where all the people were?
0: That's different because those people signed up for it. Oh, I see. They signed a contract saying, yeah, I totally understand what you're going to do to my body. What I don't like is where people take uh, bodies that have been interred and then just remove them and then put them on display <laughs> without their say-so. That just feels wrong to me. I don't like taxidermy for the same reason.
1: Oh, right. Whereas I'm a big fan of taxidermy, particularly the, the worse it is, the more I like it. That's I particularly enjoy a, a, a taxidermy of like maybe a snake ready to strike and then three mice, but like with little outfits and swords battling yeah, the snake. That's what you like. i pay good money for that all right i love that this freaks me out i don't it's like it's so it. wrong it's it yeah it's to so the wrong worst side of me
0: i tell you what when i was a kid growing up my grandmother she used to have like this little glass thing that she bought from hawaii or some beach resort and it had a tiny little crab that was in it like it was like it was supposed to be like the the scene at the bottom of the ocean or something and it used to freak me out i hated the fact that this little crab was forever trapped in this glass no! stone <laughs> not that it's alive but just like its body couldn't go back to nature couldn't turn to dust and become no, part of the next thing like a
1: cycle of life i don't like it, it no. freaks me out okay so regarding my plan to uh, embed you in aspic on your death <laughs> yeah <laughs> is that problematic then <laughs> yeah if you, if you wouldn't mind Awkward. well unless i sign up to it and then it's okay right <laughs> i don't like it uh fair enough so wait, wait. oh yeah so we oh yeah i got some uh, TripAdvisor reviews for lengong visiting the lengong man okay
0: Ryan Weir says this is wrong. Well, yeah, I'll add that. Actually. One star. I had it just like <laughs> wrong
1: in principle. <laughs> <laughs> Muni gives it four stars. A historic treasure. Yeah. Cheek, also four stars. A Lengong must see. Yeah. Travel Cat Y three stars. Not bad. Mildly expensive. Hugh yeah. H one star closed for renovation. Oh no! Oh, I know. Got, imagine going that I far. I can't imagine how far we travelled to like. <laughs> oh. <damn it. laughs> what are they renovating? Uh, I guess they were just buffing his... Uh, his <laughs> torso specs <first Lex> case. <laughs> 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 so yeah. anyway, all of this, whilst it's not exactly our time period, the point of all this is there were people in the area way before our time period, sure. which means it's fairly plausible... That there were people in our time period, even though they are not specifically documented.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. People explore, right? They get, they about, get about. They yeah. do get about. They're all in that area at that time. There is no doubt that there wasn't somebody traipsing through a mangrove in what is today's Singapore.
1: Yeah. So, and one of the reasons I struggle with this is like, Singapore as a nation is not is about modernity, right? Yeah. Uh, they're not big on archaeology at all. A little bit. But Lian Zaubao, who's an associate professor at the Asia Research Institute, said that Singapore is probably the only country in the world that does not employ state archaeologists. Oh,
0: really? Okay, that's interesting.
1: Uh, there's no law that requires archaeological investigation before building, which most sort of big cities certainly have.
0: Sure they do. You can't build unless you've had like a survey done. And if you do find something, you've got to stop building and all that right, sort of stuff. So they don't have that in Singapore. They wow, They crack really? on, right? So if you find something, you just keep going. Well,
1: in, you can. So there is some. Um, I'm being slightly unfair. They found they found Chinese ceramics from the Tang Dynasty, which was the 600s to 900s, you know, dig in Padang. That's cool. Which is like a cricket pitch, as far as I can make out. But, right. um, so, you know, that's the Tang Dynasty in the 600s, which is eight or 900 years after where we're going. But probably some traffic. Some stuff was going on, but it's hard to tell. But we're talking about the southern tip of the Malay Peninsula, and we know the first arrivals were forest foragers, as we've discussed. I'm assuming they didn't want to hang around the bank Grove swamps because they are forest foragers, and that is not a forest the jutero malays are kind of my likely candidates they probably arrived by water almost certainly arrived by water they came in more or less our time period
0: yeah
1: and they fit with a group of indigenous people who still exist today called the orang selatar the orang selatar the orang selatar what a great name right so they are they, they're category they actually fit in a couple of different categories this is taxonomy in action i suppose so there is a a, a category of people called the orang asli Right. In Malaysia. And that means indigenous people. Basically. Still today? Today, yeah. Okay, so, right. So there's a sort of Orang Asli Affairs Department in the government of Malaysia. Huh. They recognize 18 separate groups. Almost all of them are sort of foresty people. Sure. And the Orang Selatar are quite different because they are sea people, fundamentally. Nice. So they've also categorized as Orang Laut. Orang Laut are sea people, also sometimes known as sea gypsies. Right, So the Orang Salatara are kind of my candidate for who is living in our time period yep. in this location. I love it. This is great. So the Orang that they still exist today. They're sea people. Uh, I think they're probably the people who would have been living in that time. These are the guys who invented a thing called the Sampan Pandang. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say that back to me, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, that's the Sampang Changjang. The Sampang Panjang. Mm. This is a type of Malay fast boat. This is the 19th century, so I've really leapt ahead. Oh, okay, just to right. give you an idea of how sea-peoply they are, Yeah, they invented these boats that go super fast, and they would have races with European boats, <laughs> cool. which they always won because oh, for they were real? much better boats. <laughs> no way, that's great. <laughs> these guys were also again about 500 years ago so way after our period they were pirates in the area Yeah. they were basically roam the straits of the area and they were they dominated the waters they were qu- quite involved in some of the politicking between the empires that were battling so yeah. you remember i talked about the siam the empire of siam yes and the Sultanate of Johor. So these guys were rucking it out, and they were mercenaries.
0: sort of working with both, or were they...? They
1: backed one side, actually, but because they controlled the area, you couldn't drive your boat through the Straits of Johor without these guys' say-so. So So actually, they were quite useful in terms of the balance of power in the area. So they they were part of the region, and as I say, they still exist today. So I've I've taken some things I know about them today and recently, and I'm... Assuming that they were doing some similar things back in the day. Yep. Tradition, customs, they go back, don't they? So they would live They would live literally in their boat. So known as sea gypsies, in the same way as you would have a caravan and you live on the road. You have a yep. boat, you live on the boat. You give birth. Your families live on it. Wow, you that's amazing. On it. You You don't land, essentially. These big boats? Well, I guess over time they got bigger, but I would imagine they were relatively small back in the day. Children as young as three are taught to swim. Uh, and taught to swim is a really grand way of saying... Thrown off the boat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going
0: to say, like, I think I was taught to swim. Probably even younger than that, surely.
1: So if the children can't swim by the age of four, the mothers... This is a problem, Feed right? them, them to four sharks. four and you can't swim. Now, they feed them with shark, actually. Feed them the flesh of a sand shark that uh, they believe will <laughs> For help <real>? you swim. <laughs> oh, that was a joke. No, okay. They don't feed you two sharks. They feed you some shark. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. I was not far off. So these guys, uh, when they're swimming, they, they learn... They, they to. Does actually, that work? Well, I guess being... I suspect that's not the cause. I think the being chucked off the boat is the bigger motivation. But no,
0: no, you said that the, uh, they feed them sand shark if they can't swim. Yeah. So does that
1: work? I suspect not, but they might have a psychological effect—the old uh, right placebo effect. Yeah. The sand shark. Well, I've had sand shark now. I must be. Able I to must swim. be able to I swim. Believe in myself. Right. right. Cool. W- where if are I you have to... bird's
0: nest soup, can I fly? No, you can nest. All <laughs> oh, right. I'll do that anyway. <laughs>
1: So they could catch fish with their bare hands, right, allegedly. And there's a saying that's they where there's bare hands. No, <laughs> so it would dive into the ocean, you could just grab a fish, right? Well that's- you would if you uh, had hands
0: the size of a bear.
1: <laughs> it's like well, if only there were salmon. <laughs> so there's a saying that's where there's fish, that's where you'll find the orang celitar. That's the saying. Yeah, that's why you see a lot of them in Billingsgate. Yeah, <laughs> down the deli part. <laughs> the fish market <laughs> on the deli. I was like, oh, it used to be better than this. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. So these guys lived in this area. they Pretty obviously, they lived both sides of the Straits of Johor. The, the, the strait is only at its biggest two kilometers wide, at its smallest 500 meters. This is, okay. from their point of view, it's the same place. There's no there's notion yeah, right. of Singapore is different places. absolute nonsense. So as well as the sea, they have these mangroves, right? I'm going to speculate slightly. Um, one of the things that uh, today is very popular is crab. Mud mm-hmm. crab, specifically, taken from the mangroves of uh, Singapore. Okay, cool. And actually, side note, chili crab is, if you Google food in Singapore, chili crab comes up. Time and time again, chilli crab's a big signature dish, if you like, of Singapore.
0: Everyone loves the crab in Singapore.
1: Right. So there's three species of mud crab in Singapore. The okay. green mud crab. Yeah. The orange mud crab. Right. And the purple mud crab. Green, orange and purple. Right. Feels like a children's book, doesn't it? Doesn't? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but these are real crabs. The The purple one is the biggest, that like 20 centimetres across. Okay. That's not inconsiderable size yeah, of yeah. crab. It's about the size of my hand. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Mm. You've got big hands. Yeah. Yeah, actually, probably it's important that the listeners know that you're <laughs> a fairly large fellow. If you were a tiny, petite person, that would have been a tiny crab. That if I, I had a withered with. left
0: arm, <laughs> it would be a very different size crab.
1: So do you want to learn how to catch a crab? I do. Right. So I used to do, do this crabbing. Really?
0: Yeah, you take a string um, and you put some bacon on it, like uncooked bacon, and then on a, like a hook on the end, and then you put it off the pier, the end of the pier, into the water, and the crabs grab onto it. You pull them up, stick
1: them in your bucket. Not wildly dissimilar. You walk around the mud holes of the mangrove swamp yeah. with a stick. You find a crabby looking hole and yeah. you <laughs> push your stick into the hole. Right. And then when you hear the cl- clomp of claw on rod. Oh, no. Just pull the crab out and it's just hanging onto
0: your stick. Do you know what? Claw on rod is not something that I was expecting to claw hear tonight. Claw on rod
1: is something you've heard tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't unsay it. So, um, yeah, I, saw, I was rod. watching a video of an old guy on YouTube. guy just walk around shoving these sticks and going ah look a crab
0: i thought you were going to say like you spear it
1: no nope, not at all you just go you just lure them out with the, the why are they interested in a stick i think it's defensive move on their okay. part uh but he did say one thing that i'm going to share with you because it, i don't know why it resonated with me so much he said if you take these crabs when they're small mm. you can't catch them when they're bigger
0: well that is profound isn't
1: it it really is it's uh, sustainability in action yeah
0: Can I take your order,
1: please? So, okay, I'll just get a jumbo stick and a kid's twig, please. Do you want an
0: extra pointy? Oh, yes, please. 20p extra.
1: Uh, That's fine.
0: Non-slip grip. Uh, sure. Yes, 20 p extra. Yep,
1: yeah, that's fine.
0: Okay, so that's a jumbo stick and a kid's twig, extra pointy with non-slip grip. Anything else?
1: Uh, yes, I was just wondering, that's the sticks, are they splinter-free?
0: At Crab Holes, we make every effort to ensure that our sticks are prepared in a splinter-free environment. But if, however, you have a splinter intolerance, Crab Holes cannot be held responsible. Having been made aware, do you want to proceed with your order? Um, uh, yes, yes, I'm sure that'll be fine. And Okay, anything else?
1: Uh, no, that's everything. Okay, that's 28.33. Collect your sticks from the next window and your mud bank number three. Anyway, so the um <laughs> the Orang Salatar were animist had animist beliefs. This is prior to the introduction of Islam. There's, so spirits or Hantu are everywhere, in trees and underwater. And the Hantu are basically everywhere. And the condition of their sort of belief is basically just respect. So again, we've seen this With the forest foragers of Rwanda, where it's all about living in harmony with your environment. And these guys have the same thing, only it's just wetter.
0: I heard that it was illegal to go crabbing in Singapore. Go on. I heard that it's against the claw.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, so they're all about <laughs> harmony with the environment. But that's tricky, because the environment can be quite uh, aggressive. So let's talk about some of the dangers that uh, our 300 BC to 500 BC people yeah, have encountered. love dangers. So let's talk about the mangrove pit viper. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, this is also known as the shore pit viper. Uh, this is a snake. It gives birth to live young instead of laying eggs, which I didn't realise was a thing. This is something
0: you wouldn't want to discover in, in Singapore during this time.
1: That you would not want to discover.
0: hmm what does it do? How does it kill you?
1: Well, it has a reputation. A snake with a reputation is already something to be worried about. It has a reputation for being unpredictable and <laughs> should be approached with caution. It will strike at any threat with no warning. Its powerful hemotoxic venom will cause serious illness or kill.
0: Wow. No So this is warning.
1: a fairly problematic snake. Uh, and get this. By day, it can be found resting on low branches one or two meters from the ground. What so, above your head? Face head, level. Face level. About, <laughs> slightly above your head, there's <laughs> snakes that are going to kill you in an unpredictable way. <laughs> yeah. That's a mango something for you, though. Well, I isn't want it? to discover one of them bad boys, right? They also have uh, black cobras that spit nice, quite unpleasantly. Less threatening, but probably potentially more shocking, is the paradise tree snake. The paradise tree snake. Paradise tree snake. Uh, this lives at the top of trees, uh, and it flies. Wait, what? So it's a snake, right? It lives on. It's, it's hanging out on the top of a tree, and it goes. I'm going to move because it's either got a bird after it, or it's right. fancy's moving. So it, it throws itself. What? From the tree, and then what it does is it flattens its body. To make its whole body a kind of a little bit of a wing and it sort of wiggles.
0: I mean, you know, this sounds ludicrous. I know
1: it sounds. I know it sounds crazy, but it does. It flattens its body out and it sort of wiggles as it floats across the air.
0: Do you mean just falls?
1: Glides, sort of glidey, fally. (laughs) I mean, it's not like a bird by any means. I've seen video of this, right? Right. it, It literally hurls itself into the air. Right. But it does. It does its. It does its snake wiggle, right? You know how snake I mean, wiggles on the you ground. You know how terrifying it does that, that is, in the right? Air, right. And then it just clatters into its destination because it can't stop. Right? Because it's not got brakes or hands or arms. It's whacks into the tree, <sighs> and that's it. Moving from A to B.
0: I mean, if it works, it works, right? Uh,
1: yeah, Again, but can it's... you imagine you're just walking along, right? And this snake <laughs> clatters you in the face. Flying snake. <laughs> Honestly, we're, I'm going to put a link to this particularly yeah. into the, the notes because you look at it and you go... Oh, no, I'm out, man. <laughs> and this is a poisonous one? No, it's not too bad, this one. It's, oh, it's it not too won't, bad? It won't, okay, if fine. it won't kill you, you'll be all right, basically. Just shock. But I, I think it just, I, yeah, exactly that. If you're walking along and you cop a snake to the face out yeah, of the blue, yeah. you're going to be uh, surprised. Or the back of the head. Could be from coming from any direction. Okay, you wouldn't know, would you? Uh, let me tell you about the Mosaic Reef Crab. You know those three delicious crabs I told you about?
0: The green one, the orange one, and the purple one. Yeah,
1: exactly. The Mosaic Reef Crab. Yeah lovely you can hunt that and eat that toxins as strong as a puffer fish oh you can really? cook it won't make it safe you're going to be severely ill or dying
0: wait so you can eat it just you've got to be careful oh, yeah, which you're, bit you're, you're no, eating. no 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 you gonna kill you
1: oh any of it yeah don't eat it it's not okay. like the other crabs mate i had i had mosaic crab last night it almost makes you wonder why they put it on the menu <laughs> <laughs> I'll have the mosaic crab. Are you sure, sir? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well. Fine, if that's what you want. I told you they'd buy it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So,
0: yeah, lots of people probably fell for that, I'm guessing. Rocking yeah, up.
1: I mean, can you imagine you've gone, look, I found a new crab. Oh, yeah, let's tuck in. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I'm in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things that these people would have to be watching out for, right? Um, presumably the sellitar they knew what they were doing they learned don't eat that one you know it's the, the history of humanity really yeah it is don't nibble on that do nibble on that yeah. mushrooms being the classic case in point yep so that is kind of how they lived i think they crabbed they fished, they swam in the sea. Avoided snakes. We're in the period before there's a lot of trading and traffic and the piracy became a thing. So I think they were living on their own, ducking the flying snake, yeah. <laughs> munching on the crabs they could stick out of the ground. Yeah, um, sounds a beautiful basically life. Basically keeping themselves at themselves. And uh, it's a shame because now, of course, they are a people under threat. Yeah, Pollution has harmed the fish stocks and the crab stocks. Over Overfishing and overcrabbing has harmed those Probably yeah. the pollution rather more as a people, they're marginalized in society, as we've Most seen with all of the ab- yeah. indigenous peoples. Yeah, uh, tend to be less educated. They speak their own language. There's about 20% of the vocabulary of uh, orang salatar shared with Malay. Oh, okay, so they've got their own language. Uh, this is a dying language. There's 880 speakers of orang salatar and in, that's it in the world. 880. 880, right? Amazing, you could host a party and have them all having a chat in a room yeah here probably that's <laughs> well, a big party not quite here, but, but yeah. yeah so the language itself is considered under threat in the 80s even up to the 80s they had three kampong which is uh, the word for villages in singapore but singapore doesn't even recognize orang salatar as a people they're just considered malay they're munged in with the malay people okay so as far as singapore is concerned they don't even exist anymore uh <sighs> wow. they've been pushed out they don't they do not exist in singapore the, in Malaysia, they are recognized as part of the Orang Asli, the original uh, indigenous people. And and even their villages are, you, you live in the village and then the Singapore government says, well, we need this village to build an airport. You're out, right? So there, there are no villages of Orang Selatar left in Singapore. There is a region of Singapore called Selatar, right. which is where they used to live. So in a way, as far as Singapore is concerned, there are no more... Orang Eventually,
0: Selatar. there will come a point, if we're not careful, where there's just a place named after them and resigned to the history books
1: that's very likely
0: amazing isn't it we're living at a time where we're seeing you know the end of a a long line of
1: a people absolutely they used to be able to make their living from the sea they can't they used to live in villages they can't Mm. i've I, i felt really bad for them because you know they're facing a an enemy fundamentally that they don't understand and that they can't understand and they can't beat where do you live as a sea gypsy if the fish is gone the crabs are gone and you're not allowed to live in the location you used to
0: right i mean it's not like you can even move on and find somewhere else because that's all taken up too we live in a world where there's very few places
1: that you could just Yeah, exactly it's not like we'll come over here there's absolutely loads of fishing and everything's fine yeah (laughs) so anyway i I hate to end this on a downer but that's well you leave that there that is the situation of the oang salatana oh my god I think represent the modern incarnation of the continuous line of people who have uh, existed since the time period uh, that we had assigned in Singapore.
0: That's amazing! And at five hundred BC, and we still got like continuance of that even today, even if it's just a small minority group left.
1: Absolutely, it's chastening in a way because Singapore is this huge success story on the one mm. hand, and yet there is still something being lost. This contrast of success new and old with is amazing. Modernity and yeah profit and uh luxury but there are people who are suffering as a as as a result who haven't been taken on that journey
0: yeah but how can you take them on that journey i guess is the argument when all you're doing is looking forward you don't want to look back
1: and and i i i would imagine you'd be hard pressed to find a singaporean who says let's dig crabs out of holes with sticks instead of going to a restaurant (laughs) 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 That's a fair point yeah
0: I think I would struggle to do that too.
1: Right. And in fairness, the chilli crab that I talked about, nine times out of ten, is not a local Singaporean crab.
0: It's jetted in.
1: Shipped in at the very least.
0: Yeah. It's against the claw, mate. It's a little joke there, a crab joke.
1: Yeah, no, I I got it.
0: I was wondering if you got it. I
1: know, you're trying to come in from another side. Is it some kind of pincer movement?
0: Well, i tell you what. You had discovery as your topic, and I have discovered an awful lot about Singapore during the Persian Empire period.
1: And also some other periods. And some (laughs) other periods too. No, it's really fascinating stuff, Peter. Thank you very much. It was uh, an absolute pleasure. It was um, a difficult topic. I hope that you enjoyed it. And that is all. So, it's
0: time for next episode. We need to hit the later. It's time to hit the button. Do you want to press the button? I want to press the button. Then press
1: the button. I'm going to press the button.
0: Okay, right. So, later is up and running. The steam is piling out at the top. I think I need to give that a bit of a... a, That chimney a clean.
1: Should that needle be in the red zone? I'm worried.
0: I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm going to to take it apart later and uh, give it a good rub down.
1: There's some soot buildup on the right there. You notice that too?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's not looking great. Right, Peter, press the uh, button, get get the Dursalita going. This is happening. Okay. And uh, what country am I going to be doing this time on the next episode?
1: Your country is...
0: Yes. Wild Card! Ah, our famous HHE wildcard. Right. Okay, cool. So, um, all right, well, let's find out. You what don't the... have to
1: decide yet. We established the rules a while back that uh, I'll tell you your topic and time period.
0: Okay. And the time period is? 1800 to 1850. Nice. Okay.
1: Relatively modern, I would say.
0: Uh, yeah. 1800, 1850. I quite like that.
1: Okay. So let's check the topic.
0: Okay. The topic is?
1: <laughs> this is interesting. Uh, this is one of our recent inventions, I think. It's not rocket science. Wait, what? So the topic is, <laughs> yeah. and I quote, Yeah. It's not rocket science.
0: Right. It's not rocket science in 1800 1850. And you have
1: one minute, I believe, according to the rules of wildcard, to decide what you want.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So what do you think you uh, do here? I distract you? Or am I allowed to distract you? I'm just wondering, like, do I take this literally and go, it's not rocket science? Which I like talk about any other science other than rocket science. Maybe you should do rocket science. Or do I talk about, like, the fact, like, it's taken from the fact that it's not rocket science, so which it means it implies. simplicity. Exactly. What it's is a, something it's, what's simple. Not, what's not rocket science? Oh, my goodness. Countries, countries, countries. Uh, my country is the country of. <laughs> uh. My brain's gone dead. I can't think of a single country. Oh, there are no countries. Countries are made up. All right. Canada. Canada? Yeah. Oh,
1: my Lord. Yeah. I'm, I'm go- super surprised. Uh, yeah, me too. They,
0: they just, <laughs> <laughs> just popped into my head. I'm probably going to really kick myself over this. But uh, right. So it's not rocket science in Canada during 1800 to 1850. I have no idea what that is going to cover off. But like I guess we'll find out in a fortnight. Wish me luck. I wish you do all the very best of luck. Okay. You could do it, Ryan, oh, I'd be fine) <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the show for this week. Um, thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about in this episode or any of the others, uh, we can be found on our Twitter account, which is at HHE or you can email us at hhepodcast at gmail.com. And you
1: never know, if you do, you might end up featured on a future show. Now, if you really want to be featured on a future show, and I think you do, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, In the meantime, you can find and join discussions on the show on Facebook, on Reddit, on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. Sign up to all of those things and you will get a hit of History Happened Everywhere as often as we can produce them.
0: Yeah, we check those things all the time. So send us a message and we'll find it. We'll get back to you. But we'll be back again soon with episode 29. But in the meantime, look out for the verdict. (laughs) It's our after-show podcast where uh, our raconteur and intelligentsia, uh, Mr. Paul Dursley, joins us to judge, grade and ridicule this week's efforts. Mostly ridicule.
1: So uh, if you've enjoyed this and you want some old shows, we've got a growing archive. You can download and listen to those whenever you want. Find them on YouTube, your podcast provider or at hhepodcast.com. That's right. So I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... History happened everywhere.
0: Can I take your order please?
1: Oh, uh, it's our first time here, what would you recommend?
0: We've got regular burger, quarter pounder burger, double cheeseburger and the death by hamburger burger.
1: Oh, that does sound exotic. And uh, what exactly is a hamburger?
0: Well, you slaughter a cow, you mash it into a pink disc and you fry that and pop it in some bread.
1: Oh, that's a bit adventurous. Uh,
0: well, we've got hot dogs.
1: Oh, hot dog. That sounds interesting.
0: No, it's not dog. It's pig. Oh. Yeah, you slaughter a pig, you mash it into a pig cylinder, you boil it, and you pop it in some bread.
1: Uh, Again, pig. It's a bit... you know, I'm just a simple guy. It's all a bit out there for me. Uh, Do you not have anything with bird spit?
0: No, you might want to try birdies or crab holes around the corner.
1: No, you know what, I'm I'm going to do it. You never know until you try these things, do you? Just a regular hamburger for me, please.
0: Okay, anything else?
1: Oh no, that's everything.
0: Okay, here you go, that's 28.33. Thank you for choosing hamburgers.
1: Thank you very much. Oh my god, this is disgusting! It's got a gherkin in it.